You are listening to the I Am God's Beloved podcast, hosted by Susan Quinnell and Kim Decker. Scripture tells us that we are God's beloved children, that God sees us, that God delights in us. We long to know those who we worship alongside deeper so that we might better understand the breadth of God's love and the expansiveness of God's kingdom. Please join us as we hear the diverse and powerful personal stories of some of God's beloved children. Before we get into the interviews, Susan and I want to share a little about why we wanted to have these conversations in podcast form. For starters, I love the podcast format, and given that we aren't able to connect in person as easily these days, I saw this format as a way to connect with members of our church in a deeper way. I've always loved hearing from women at Women in Touch and at various retreats, and this seemed like another way to dig deeper and learn more from different people. While God was stirring that desire in Kim, I was looking for a way in which the BIPOC voices in our body could be heard. I hoped to relay God's good news of love for each and every one of us as beloved children of God. Scripture communicates God's magnificent creation in each of us. God sees us. God hears us. As we know ourselves and one another more fully as children of God, and we become acquainted, develop, and share relationships with our brothers and sisters, in Christ, within Jesus' love, we have the potential to move towards unity in God's kingdom. So we reached out to folks with our vision. We asked people to pray and consider whether involvement with this project would be life-giving or would be life-draining. We want to honor people with this space, not harm them. Listeners may recall that we had the pleasure of hearing a sermon from Oshetta Moore this summer. Recently on her Instagram, she posted the following. Dear white peacemakers, this is our work together, white peacemaker, to reclaim humanity for both of us and create a counterculture that actively exposes and resists the violence of white supremacy culture. Asking us to share our traumatic race stories on panels and podcasts for articles and commentary in small groups or in coffee dates sometimes feels like you're robbing us of our liberation. Pastor Moore then offered some suggestions about how to best help our BIPOC brothers and sisters. In this instance, it was during the verdict of the trial of Derek Chauvin. And she added, please, please, please practice Christ-like love and do everything you can to protect and preserve the belovedness of your black and brown leaders. This could be one of the most profound witnesses you offer in this moment. Our intention with this podcast is indeed to protect and preserve the belovedness of our brothers and sisters. We respect and dearly love those who have declined to share and those who are not ready to do so. For those who want their voices heard, we pray that this will be a space that God can use for our collective growth and unity. And one final note, (laughs) we ask that you use discretion with younger listeners as some of the stories may be better suited for mature audiences. Without further ado. Today, I'd like to welcome Tina Abraham to our podcast. I'm very excited to share this conversation with you, Tina. Tina is a nurse and works in our community after accomplishing a wonderful milestone in her life of graduating from St. Olaf just two years ago in nursing. And she has two wonderful young women daughters who are just in the midst of their high school years. So welcome, Tina. Thank you, Susan, for inviting me. And thanks for the introduction. Um, and thanks for knowing you. And thanks for Imes for giving me this opportunity. First of all, just tell me about you. Tell me how Tina became Tina and a little bit about your story. Any part of your story that you would like to share with us. I came to the United States in May 2003 um, to join my husband, um, my ex-husband actually, 
who is a professor at Carlton currently. I started coming to Emmaus, I think, at the end of um, 2003. Yeah, so around December. I had um, three children. I had two kids out of that marriage, but um, I was married for six years and it didn't work. And um, I decided um, I didn't want to marry anymore. It was really painful. And if I can go back, um, I had a lot of counseling from our previous pastor, uh, Pastor Wells. He was there for me. The church was there for me, and um, they made me feel um, welcome. And um, because I really wanted to go back to Africa, because I thought if the marriage didn't work, then what am I doing here? I have to go back. But I found a safe haven and through um, this church, and. Uh, I, I thought I'll give it a try by staying for a while. Tell us a little bit about your family from Ghana and where you were raised and your experience there. I was raised in the capital of Ghana called Accra. Accra. Yes. Okay. And I was raised by a single um, father. We were three girls I was the youngest. And I remember growing up, I love God. And so I'll follow my sisters to church. And my dad said, no, you don't have to go to church. You know, and my, the reason why he did not want me to go to church, he didn't, he didn't believe in Pentecostal churches. He was more of the Orthodox, like the Presbyterian church, the Catholic church. They thought they were the best and the Holy Ghostic churches are uh, fixed, and she thought I was going to be backwards because they didn't know how to dress up. That was from my dad. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so he stopped me from going to church earlier on. Then when I went to high school, I went to boarding house, and I started going to Scripture Union. Don't know whether we have it here, but... In Africa, we have the scripture, you know, they're in the colleges and the universities, yeah. Um, so I started going to the scripture union, you know, and um, he found out that I was going to scripture union, you know, it's more of modern Christianity, you know. And he told me, either you choose between going to church, that kind of Christianity, or you lose the benefit of my wealth or something like that. No, I won't take care of you again and all that. And I said, I want I want to be that way on go to church. I remember his sermon, his sermon at the elders of the family, and we sat together and he said this is your last time. Either you start going to this scripture union churches or like Pentecostal churches. If you don't want to stay with the Presbyterian church, then I washed my hands of you. And I decided I wanted to serve God because I didn't see my dad wanted me to stay in the Presbyterian church, but he wasn't going to church himself. He only went to church Christmas and Easter. And I wanted something more. I felt like there was something in me that wanted, I wanted to know God more. So then he washed his hands of me. And so from high school, I couldn't continue my education. So I was staying in the village and we're doing God's work. We're doing evangelism and we go to rural areas where cars were not go cars couldn't drive because there were no rules. We would walk like two, three hours to villages and preach, do crusades, win souls for Christ. And I loved it. And I remember I had one slippers. One slippers. And I remember I wore I wore it so much that the soul came off. Uh, you know, it worn away. So it came off, so I had to use safety pin oh, to, 
clip it on, then back the front at the sole to hold it. And I remember I used to have this blue dress with white flowers in, and I, I had only like three dresses. And but I was so happy that I was able to do that. I was so happy, and I saw the power of God. I saw it, and God. I remember what God told me. He said, "Your father has disowned you, but I will never give up on you." And he did not. So anyway. From the village, I found a job in the cities to be trained as a, to work at the pharmacy shop. So I went to the cities and worked at, at the pharmacy shop. So I was trained and the blessing was enormous. I mean, there was so much blessing because even though I didn't, didn't go to school to, to be a pharmacist, I was just trained to dispense medication the knowledge that I acquired and how my work was, I mean, it was, it was special to some people. And they used to call me a nurse. They used, some people call me a nurse or doctor. <laughs> because back home, a lot of people don't have money to go to the hospital. So if they have headache or stomach ache, they go to the pharmacy and just tell the pharmacist, this is what it's, it's, it's something that they do. I know it's not a good practice, but, you know, a lot of people don't have the money, so they go to, but, and then, you know, you give them the medication. And so that's how I, I earned my name nurse and doctor. <laughs> I wasn't a doctor. <laughs> but they thought I was, I was doing the job really well, just dispensing medication. So anyway, so in the cities, I got involved with a church called Light of Life Gospel Mission. So I was in that very active, and I was a choirister. So I was one of their soloists, mm -hmm. singers. And when I sing, the anointing, I mean, I see people crying, healing happen. And after service, people run to me and tell me, give me testimonies of what God used my music, the song that to, to open doors or to heal them or, you know. So I was a chorister for eight years and there wasn't a single day that I wasn't in church. After work, I go to church, whether I'm in the women's fellowship, the youth fellowship, or we having revival. We usually have like 30 days fasting, revival and all that. So I, the bottom line is, I loved God and I did the work of God. It sounds like really God was your foundation. He was my foundation and he kept his promise. He never left me nor forsake me, even though my dad abandoned me. And God did wonderful things for me. From one slippers and two, three dresses to I was blessed, you know. I had my own small house, you know. I didn't have a car, but I have a couple of dresses and shoes. <laughs> so I call that blessing from one to like five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, no. Do you still keep in touch with your sisters? Yes, I do. I do keep in touch. My older sister passed away suddenly um, like four years ago. That was really hard on me. So I have one sister. Um, she, she retired. She was a teacher for about 25 years. So she retired. Um, and my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. He did. But um, this is the good story. So when my dad, I heard that my dad was sick, I went home to visit. And um, so he was in his sick bed, and I, so I attended to him. And I said, Dad, can I preach the word of God to you? This is a man who didn't, didn't want to hear about the name of God, even though he professed to be a Christian, but he did not. So, so I said, can I preach the word of God to you? And he nodded in agreement, and I preached the word of God to him. And I led him to the sinner's prayer, and he did. And 
I went back, I went home after my visit with him. And two days after that visit, I had a dream that my, my dad was like a five-year-old. I'll never forget. Five-year-old boy with white shorts and a white shirt. And I held his hand and we were walking and I saw a tunnel a br with bright lights. So we walk and walk. When we got close to the tunnel, my, it was blinding me. And he let my hand go, go and he walked into the tunnel and I didn't see him anymore. And so the next day I asked my, I called my pastor and I told him about it. He said, you led your dad to Christ. Even though he didn't know Christ. What he did to you, he, did, he was mean to me because financially I was, I, I went hungry, you know. If I'm telling this story to take life three days, I went hungry. He was mean to me because of Christ. But I showed him the love of Christ. I preached Christ to him, led him to Christ. And God revealed to me that through me, he saved his life in, on his dying bed. It's a beautiful story, yes. Tina. Thank you for sharing. Has there been or was there a particular experience, a place or a town or school that made you aware of the impact of race in the world and in your life? It wasn't till recently, we say the past four years. I've been I've lived in Minnesota for eighteen years now. But I never felt that way till the last four years. So it all started, I think it was a 2016. At that time, I was, uh, I think I was a sophomore at St. Olaf. So I was running late to get go get my older daughter from the middle school. So I used the back road where you have the runabout. And so I got her, and when I turned around about to, I think it's Carter Street. When I turned, negotiated the runabout, here was this man standing in the middle of the street. So I had to stop. So I parked on the right side of the curb. And he walked all the way towards my car, and he looked at my license plate. And then he came to the driver's side. And he started pounding, pounding on the wind and using words that I cannot use. And he said, you have to go back to your country. You don't belong here to be driving on this road. And my daughter was screaming and screaming. And he said, Mom, you have to move. He's going to kill us. He's going to shoot us. And I was just using my peripheral. I wasn't making eye contact with the man but he was just pounding on my window. And I prayed, and I didn't know what to do because my daughter was traumatized, screaming. Mm -hmm. And this man was leaning on my window, mm -hmm. the side of the door, the door. And so I was thinking about if I move, I was going to run over, you know, his feet or foot. So I pray God to give me a way out. And so... I, did, I closed my eyes, and then something told me to just get to the right. So I was able to, I did that, and I was able to get away from him. And so I was shaking, and my daughter was crying. And so I had to report the case. So Northfield police came to my house, an officer, and he interviewed me and all that, and after that, I told my friend Vicky, Dilly, mm -hmm. and I, I'm on Facebook with her. So she, she posted on Facebook about the incident. I did not post it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. She posted on Facebook. And the one thing that surprised me, that broke my heart, was I think it was a church member. I, I don't even want to remember her name. Mm -hmm. Who commented, oh, they are lying. This thing, it never happened. They are just saying, I don't think it happened. 
And Vicky was like, no, she's my friend. It happened to her and her daughter. So, well, they just want Trump to look bad. That's what she commented. And so that's when it got me that this is more of, you know, that's when I started thinking about this race issue. I never thought about I'll be treated differently because of the color of my skin. And, well, to go back, that guy was wearing the mega hat with Make American Great Again. So I didn't understand why he did that. So then I was able to connect the lady on Facebook who commented that it's, you know, um, uh, Vicky was made, uh, the story that Vicky's friend told her, it was a made-up story, and then she commented that um, we wanted Trump to look bad. So I was, I connected that with the hat that guy was wearing. I said, oh, so it's, you know, kind of. And that opened my eyes to be aware of my environment. And uh, I am somebody who walks a lot, and sometimes it didn't used to be like that in Northfield, You'll be walking and somebody will just yell, hey, go back to Africa. No. Oh, I got um, pop can thrown at me before. And they did it to my daughter, Victoria, when she was riding her bike. And she said she didn't want to ride her bike, bike anymore. And uh, so, it went, but I didn't see anything like that at St. Olaf. But I think that I see that at work. There's kind of discrimination a little bit that didn't used to be. How are you in, in this moment? This last year, we've had a lot of events, and I'm just wondering how you're processing. We've had the killing of George Floyd and some of the other police brutality to other black men. We've also had the challenges with immigration policies and detention of children, racial comments made about the COVID-19 origination and the protests and riots. How are you processing all of that? Yeah, it's really difficult. I am a law-abiding person, and I always want to follow the rules or law of any country, I feel like everybody should do so. And I respect the police officers, and I feel like they're doing a great job. So before George Floyd, my daughter Victoria, who was a teenager, had a hard time tr uh, trusting the police. And uh, she and I always got into it. And I said, you know, you cannot... Paint every police oh. officer with the same oh, brush. Yeah. And she would say, no, they're killing black people. I say, yeah, but we don't know much about it. Maybe there's two story, two sides to the story and all that. Because I wasn't paying attention to it. And she and I used to argue. She said, I hate them. I said, I don't want that vocabulary of hate. Don't never use that you hate them. So... When the killing of George Floyd kind of opened my eyes, and then I feel a little bit guilty because I felt like I wasn't listening to my daughter because I always push back and I feel like, no, don't say that. You know, don't, you know. I understand her a little bit. And that's when I felt sorry. I told, I apologized to her that if in any way, you know, I've been too forceful or... Um, like anything that I've said to hurt her concerning police, you know, um, she should forgive me. But I still, I still feel like, you know, we should support our police officers. And of course, there will be bad apples in the police. So the killing of George Floyd made me like really begin to pay attention to this kind of things. And it's like I've been involved in it. And it really broke my heart. And I started having some feelings towards the police officer. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I used to trust them, but my trust level went down. 
you know, kind of. Um, so then I had an issue with my neighbor. I've lived in my town home for 18 years. But before that neighbor came, I think I was about 15 years. He had moved in. One night he came to knock at my door because townhomes, we share walls, so you could hear noises from. I was doing dishes. He came to my door around 9.30, pounding on my door. I did not, oh, something told me not to open it because there was no light. And I, so I opened the window of my bedroom that I could see him then. I said, what can I do for you? And he started swearing that, hey, don't you know you have to go to bed? It's late and you're making noise. And I said, did you know? That you, you, when you're moving in, into, it's a townhome that you're moving in. And I said, why are you at my door at 9.30 trying to pick up fight with me? And then he was swearing. I said, you know, I think I'm going to call the police. So I called the police. And an officer came. And then I told her it was a long story. And I was surprised. The officer asked me. He said, do you think that man is racist? And I said, officer, I don't know. It's a hard tag to put on somebody. So I'm very careful before I label somebody as a racist. But what he did, he, he did, it's kind of out of, you know. Like some, so he went to the neighbor's door and he didn't show up. And so the police officer told me that he will follow up. I didn't even hear from him anymore, but he was a nice police officer. So he was a nice guy. As I was, <laughs> this is a nice police officer. So anyway, one month after that, that same neighbor, daughter, son was visiting, and they had a wild dog. So I was going to get my mail, and the dog just ran, dashed from the, their garage, barking after, uh, and then trying to, he came next to me, barking violently. And I was crying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I was screaming. And the guy was just standing there, just uh, calling the dog, saying, come back, come back. And the dog wasn't listening. The dog, if I had made any move, I felt like it was going to bite me. I was screaming, not until about six minutes before he walked down to, to drag the dog away. And I was shaking, so I called poli a police officer. So the police officer came, and we talked. And then I was like, I'm getting tired of this kind of, you know, why I'm living here, a neighbor comes and he's treating me that way and all that. I don't know. And I said, and I told the police officer about the incident that happened when I was going to pick up my daughter. And I said, no field is becoming really I didn't even finish my sentence. And the police officer, no, 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 it's the media. The media. He started blaming the media and bringing politics into it. I did not, I was so, I was confused. He did not listen to why I was afraid and why I feel like nothing feel is not safe anymore. But he started intending accusing the media. And I was confused because I'm talking about my feeling and you're talking about the media is polarizing me. I didn't know where it was going. That's how, so we have a good police officer and we have an a officer who didn't even care about the services he was offering. He was talking about politics. He's talking about people calling people Nazis. I was really confused. So that's why I said, you know, the police officers are, you know, I don't know. And we're talking about the protests, I think people have the right to protest. You know. And with destruction of properties and all that, I think people should be accounted for, you know. And talking about immigration, I think we should be sympathetic to people's need. I don't think somebody will swim take uh, risks their life to to swim a river or whatever just to come here they are coming here because maybe they feel like God has blessed this nation and they want a little bit of it a part of it 
So I think that we should have policies that can help people who are in dire need, who have genuine needs to help them settle. And talking about the origin of COVID-19, I think that too has created hate towards Asians. And I feel like that is not good. I feel like a lot have changed the past four or five years. I can feel the defi- I can feel the division, and I- I'm really afraid what it will lead to, because it doesn't look good. You've shared about the concepts of love and hate and trust and distrust. How has your faith in Christ been challenged by these experiences? Oh, yeah. If Emmaus. Isn't it mayors that I've known? I don't think I would have gone to any church in America. I always said that if I didn't know Christ, if I wasn't born again Christian, if I didn't have that strong foundation that I had as a born again Christian before coming here, I think the, f- the last four years would have changed my life. I was really disappointed. I'm, I, I, so for the African faith, whether Christian or Muslim, we, are, we tend to be more conservative, really conservative. So when we come here, most of the time we align ourselves with the Christian, conservative, and the party that is on that side. But I got really confused during the fourth um our election, and I even talked to Pastor Abe about it because I was confused. I feel like what the Bible says, what we go, in, and like the Bible says, you don't add to the word of God and you don't take out of the word of God anything out of the word of God. It's just what it is. And I feel like a lot of uh, people of faith. We're not up to what the word of God is. It was more of a negative politics. And I feel like the Bible, the word of God, was being used as a shield. And underneath it, there was so much hate. I see people using the word of God as an excuse for hate. And that was really disappointing to me. And their excuse of aligning with a, a negative or a hateful rhetoric or theory, I don't know how to say it, but I didn't want to go to church because I feel like who am I going to sit next to who hates me? Who pretend, who laugh, but pretend he likes me, but hates people like me. I always question myself. And I, it's not only me. A lot of Africans that I met did not want to go to church anymore. There was a lady in Lakeville who used to do my hair, go get my hair. She told she was a Muslim who converted to Christianity. And she didn't want to go to church anymore. And a lot of people. So that, if it, as I said, if it wasn't, I've known immense, and they were there for me in times of need. When I needed them, they were there for me. When my divorce was so bad, the church was there for me. They showed me love, and a lot of people here who are not fake, they show love. And there's a saying that you can see through people. So I don't know whether we have a special way of seeing that this person is faking, that person is faking, but there's something about somebody that you see that they are faking about, you know, around you, but they dislike you for being different. But the mayor stands out and 
the people are different, loving, caring, compassionate, and all that. Do you have a verse or story in Scripture that holds meaning for you as you reflect on Christ's healing and hope for your life? So my favorite verse is in Proverbs. Is it Proverbs? About the virtuous woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A virtuous woman. It's a verse that motivates me and makes me stronger. And also by the God's spoken word to me when he told me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And also where the scripture says that many I call, but few are chosen. It makes me, you know, it want, it makes me want to be a good Christian because I want to be in that field. Can you believe thinking you are a Christian, you're going to go to heaven, and you get there and say, no, I don't know you. It's something that scares me. I'm like, I don't want to risk my life. My father rejected me. I became so poor. I've worked so hard for Christ. And then to get there and say, I don't know you. So I want to do everything right for me. I know I'm not perfect, as, as the Word of God says. He said, no one is perfect. It is the perfection of Christ that is seen through us. So I always have a conversation with my maker. I always have conversation with the Holy Spirit. Guide me, lead me, let every word that comes out of my mouth be acceptable unto you, as is written in the Scripture. Because I don't want my hard work to be in vain. And I don't want anything to distract me from doing your will. So it's a verse that I I hold dear to my heart because it kind of keeps me on the right path. You know, that tells me that, hey, it is not just saying I'm a Christian and going to church and warm the pews. (laughs) You have to be right with God because otherwise you'd be disappointed. I hear your verses having a theme of the the journey of following Christ is adventurous. We don't know always where the road is going to go, but at the core of all of that, the knowledge that God will never leave you or forsake you God is on the journey with you. Tell us about how healthy or unhealthy you feel the town of Northfield or the state of Minnesota are as it pertains to racial matters, equity, opportunity, systemic racism. For Northfield, I think Northfield, especially through the CAC, I think he's doing a great job of trying to help people in the community that are underserved or who are poor, you know. Um, So I think it's a good thing that, you know, that helps so that somebody won't go to bed hungry. And um, so I think... And also the church, in mayors, you know, sometimes collaborate with other, like churches, right? And, you know, I remember before the COVID, we used to have free supper, mm-hmm. yeah. community, community meal. meal. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a way of the church addressing this kind of issue of hunger or inequality. Because if somebody has food and the person doesn't, the other person doesn't have food. It's inequality. <laughs> so I think um, Northfield and uh, um, Emmaus and other small um, group um, groups are helping. Like St. Dominic also, mm-hmm. I think they do something like that. And um, and the, it's a lot of individuals and uh, people People in Northfield are really good at helping. You know, I will tell you the story. So I went to, I used to get um, food from Christmas sharing from that place. So, and because I did my GED there, Mm -hmm. I I knew a guy called Jim. Mm, So I connected with Jim. 
because I was doing my GED, my babies were little, and I used to walk them in the snow. And I, I had one on my back, carry one on my back and one in the wheelchair, you know, go over there to study, you know, and sometimes you give me a ride uh, home. And so one day during a Christmas sharing, I saw Jim talking to a lady that I didn't know. And now I know her to be Shirley Shaft. I mentioned her name because I, I, I give glory to God for letting me meet this lady. So, so I got there and then Jim was like, oh, here comes your candidate to the lady. And then Jim's like, Tina, come meet Shirley. So I went. So Shirley Shaft is in in a PEO organization. Have you heard about them? PEO. Yeah. And they were that this organization is uh, the organization help uh, women to go back to school to get the education. So she was asking Jim if he if he knew somebody. That because she was in the she was recruiting people, and I had told Jim I wanted to be a nurse. So you know, I did my GED, I passed my GED, and uh, I was planning to go to South Central to do my prerequisite, have my education there. And then so she he introduced me to Shirley, and we bonded. And when Shirley had my story, he was she she fell in love with me. Right away, she adopted me and my kids as part of their family. She has seven children, but she decided. And a relationship built, and it was a healthy relationship. And she started helping me with gas to go to uh, South Central, you know, fixing my cars. Any problem that I ran to, Shirley was there. Christmas, you I mean, it, she was amazing. And I believe that God brought her to my life for a purpose because she promised, God promised me he will never leave me nor forsake me. And he will always make way for me when there's no way. So then, so he helped me through my education at South Central. And then I transferred to St. Olaf. She was so excited, like she was the one who got admission at St. Olaf. She bought me clothes. She paid for my my registration fee of 600. She was so excited. She was so excited that she fell. Yeah, she fell. She was making cakes and cookies, surprisingly, for my um, orientation day. And she fell at the kitchen, hit her head. But I told her, I said, because of your love for me, God will save you. And she survived that concussion. Yeah. So anyway, that woman and his husband spent more than $20,000 on me. I said, They bought my books. They paid for, I needed a new car. They paid like half of it for me. They gave me $600 cash to buy because I have to stop working. Because in Dolov full time, and it was a, it, it's it was I was doing class overload because I was trying to do the four years for three years, yeah. so there was no way I could work and go to school like I used to when I was at South Central. So I had to cut down my hours, so I didn't have money, and I wasn't on full time because I said I didn't want it. The debate around full time make it feel like lazy people. On full stop. Only black people are on full stop. Only immigrants are on full stop. They are taking our man. They're giving them free man. They're giving them freedom. I was like, I'm not that type of a, It's not true. So I wanted to prove critics that I can live. I can work hard without being on any government program and I will survive. Wow. And I did that. So God brought somebody in my life to be a supportive uh, vehicle for me. So Till I graduate. So there are good people in Northfield that help. Tell us about a time in, in which you did feel your voice was heard. How was that situation different from some of the other experiences? You kind of have shared yeah. that 
through Shirley. Yes, yes. I feel like my voice was heard. I would say mess because I told Pastor Will, uh, uh, Pastor Abe, about my disappointment and all that and things that were going on, racism mm-hmm. and politics, mm-hmm. and and during the George, George, George Floyd death, mm-hmm. I see, I I saw how the church was there for me. Um, Susan Cornell called me. She left me messages to tell me, to tell me and my kids how they were thinking about us. And that meant a lot to me. I don't remember anybody doing that for me, you know, aside my adopted family, the uh, Shirley and the husband. But Susie called me. They brought us food. Easter, they you know, give us card. They send us card, and I mean, lovely wishes, and that meant so so much to me. And I felt that they listened. That's why they reach out to us to make us know that um, they are aware of what is going on, and they are willing to learn the experience that we're going through. So I give big credit to Emmaus um, for doing that. So thank you, Susan. Um, on behalf of my children, and I told my family back home, and um, they were like, this is, the, th- this is what church, church should be. And church doing the work of God is not us only coming to church and sing and greet each other. But when people, you, you, you feel the need of people, you feel people are in desperate situation, you reach hands, not, you know, telling them that you care for them, you're thinking about them makes a big difference. And I feel like our voice, even though you did it for me, I believe you did it for the black community in Northfield. Because as you did it for me, you would have done it for other black people. Only that maybe you don't know them, but you, uh, so I, I don't have words to express, but God knows how grateful we are for you and the church for reaching us to us, uh, uh, reaching, to, <laughs> reaching to us and, you know, um, showing love. One last question. As you know, Emmaus is a predominantly white congregation. How can Emmaus improve in the ways it cares for and journeys with people of color in our congregation. Is there something you'd like us to know? A blind spot that we maybe have or a practice that is hurtful? What would you like to tell the people of Emmaus? I feel like maybe the leaders, apart from Pastor Abe, whether the leader of um, the youth leader or women's leader or, you know, I think... um, there should be like a diversity um, programs so that they, I don't know, to learn about dive, you know, diverse and other cultures to relay that in their programs or to incorporate that in, you know. So for the, for the staff and for the congregation. Yes, as a whole. For, as a whole. Because, you know, you can't change everybody, and not everybody is the same as the other. So we still have people who have differences or who have resent for people of color who might be in the church, you know, kind of, because Victoria had an experience in the church that shouldn't have happened here in the church, and she didn't want. We still work, thank God, that I think now she's, you know, gradually she tend to be getting involved. She, I can see, that, I can see that she's beginning to love the church again. But when she was like, I think it was thirteen or fourteen, there was a very unpleasant incident that happened. The youth meeting with her and 
another girl and it was more of racial thing and i don't want to get into details because you know yeah so and it was really hurtful and it 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 was unfortunate that it came from you know and I, it has nothing to do with the big like congregation or the leaders it's something with one person or two people who were racially biased against Victoria because of the color of her skin they didn't want her around them they told her to go away i mean the way they treated her and she lied about it to me but i found out she was gradually pulling away from church from youth and then so it's and then later i heard about i heard about it and then um a mother confessed it to me and then that's when she opened up and told me what really happened so i feel like um you know so the individual like the different auxiliaries the leaders of those auxiliaries they have something about um diversity training then you know they can incorporate that in their individual programs and help you know what i'm talking about than doing it the whole congregation like it, it shouldn't be the burden of pastor will a uh, pastor i keep on saying pastor will i'm so sorry <laughs> burden of, of pastor Abe. and then you know together it's the com the the whole church members yeah i just want to thank you so much for our time here today and for your vulnerability um i i truly believe that um the stories that you shared today remind us of the purpose and the name of our, our project. I am God's beloved, and you are, and God is on the journey with you, with each of us. Thank you so much um, for giving me the opportunity. I hope I... It was great. It was great, and um, your perspective and your truth that um, I think really... For me, let me see inside your heart and soul. So I, I really appreciate you sharing from there. Thanks for listening to the I Am God's Beloved podcast. Special thanks to Emmaus Church in Northfield for supporting this project. We hope you will join us again next time.